Good morning again. He's an awesome God. He's a good, good father. Father, I thank you for what you're going to do here today. And I may not say this right, but the words that came to me this morning was Pisa la resistance, which evidently means masterpiece. And I find it interesting in that word masterpiece. We think of masterpiece as something we look at. But I believe the masterpiece is the piece that you still have left to do here today. It's because you're the master, you're going to bring in the peace of what it is that you want to leave here and what you want to complete here in these three days. It's like the piece of the puzzle that's still lacking. It's the thing that you want to accomplish in the people that are here today. So, Father, I thank you for the masterpiece, the piece that pulls it all together, the piece that goes into the middle, that fits just perfectly for everything to come together to create all that you want to create out of them in this place. And I bless this time, and I just thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. Well, while I was reading Psalm 91, I'm sure many of you are familiar with Psalm 91. I was reading Psalm 91, this is several years ago, and while I was reading it, the word shadow stuck out to me. And as I thought about the word shadow, then Psalm 23 stuck out to me. It also has a shadow. One's the shadow of the Almighty, the other shadow of death. So I like the word study. I like to look up in the concordance in the Greek and the Hebrew and the original language to find out what things mean. So I look up the word shadow, Psalm 91, and I look up the word shadow in Psalm 23, and they're, they're the same word. So it's very interesting. Psalm 91, again, is the shadow of the Almighty or the shadow of his wings. Psalm 23, the shadow of death. And the title of my message is The Shadow. So you see, you cannot have a shadow without the presence of light. It's very easy to understand because God is light, so it's very easy to understand how he could create a shadow. But how could we have a shadow of the opposite side on Psalm 23 when the enemy or Satan doesn't have any light in him or does he? Now, I'm not here to say that there's light in him, but what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 11:14 14 says that Satan transforms himself into what? Into an angel of light. Not that he is light or not that light's in him, but he brings about the appearance of light, and therefore he can produce a shadow based off of false light. So it's like two competing shadows. And I believe in this, that God was trying to show me something or show us something, and I believe he wants to say something here today. So the shadow of his wings, Psalm 91, I'm going to be in verse 1, 4, and 5, and I'm going to put some words in here that come from the lexicon dictionary which just shows the meaning of the word that's written in the Hebrew. He that dwelleth in the secret place, that is the hidden place of God, or the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He shall cover or overshadow thee with his feathers, and under his wings his covering be hidden from view, shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror, for the fear, or the dread by night, which means away from the light, nor from the arrow or the dart or piercer that flieth by day. The secret place is the hidden place. It is the intimate place with God. 
Many times we believe that there's somehow we cannot enter in many times to the secret place of God. Why? Because we have something going on. Maybe it's bad bosses. Maybe whatever it is, we feel like it has to be some special spot that there is. And I'm here to tell you, and I believe what God wants to see in all this is those things are just detractors and deterrents from the secret place, the hidden place, the intimate place. Because see, this is all about the intimacy with him. I joy to be here today and even here because it's my intimate, another intimate moment that I spend with him. What are the gifts about that we taught about this weekend? It's about intimacy with him. It's not about so much of what's happening on the outside as awesome as it is to see healings and all the things that happen, but we cannot lose the intimacy with him. Many times people use the gifts as a validation of his love. That if I pray for someone and they're healed, that means God loves me. He loves you no matter what you do. That was settled a long time ago and when you took the step of redemption. And if we equate these things based off of what happens out here, what happens if they don't happen? What happens if I pray someone and they don't get healed? Then I begin to question the love of the Father for me. It has to be about intimacy. He shall cover or overshadow. He shall hedge or fence you in. He is the protector of us. No matter what is going on in our environment, we have to believe what his word has to say. He is the hedge. He is the protector. It doesn't mean that things don't try to come against us, but we have to understand who he is under his wings. His wings are a cover. They're to be hidden from view. Very interesting about that whole thing is that when we're underneath him, many times it could seem we think the enemy has free reign. He does not have free reign. He does not have free reign. He's not omnipresent. But we could be under his wings and we could be hidden from view. How many times have you heard stories about people taking Bibles through places and they can't even see the Bibles because they are hidden from view? His truth, his faithfulness, his stability, his certainty. You can take it to the bank, what he says, what he promises. Sometimes the problem is we're looking out here and we don't see it, so therefore we don't think it. But that's not what he says. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The buckler. He said he'd be a shield and a buckler. A buckler, again, is something surrounding the person. We have got to begin to realize the victory has already been had and the victory is inside of us. We need to begin to walk in the victory, not still looking for the victory. He is the one who surrounds us. And the shield, the shield is so much different than what we might think. The Bible talks about the armor, and we have a shield that quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked one. But when it speaks about him being a shield, it actually means something to pierce. He is the shield that pierces the darkness. We're so many times in the armor wearing ourselves out trying to do something. He's saying, just get under my wing. I will pierce the darkness. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks unto her. How I would have gathered you if you would just hear me. I grew up on a farm a long, long time ago, but I grew up on a farm and we had chickens. 
So when the chickens had chicks, the chicks would run around the barnyard. But they knew where their protection was. And when it came that time, it wasn't the chicken that was running around the barnyard swooping up all the chicks. The chicken or the hen stayed in its position and the chicks knew where the protection was and the chicks went and went to the wing and then the mama or the hen lifted the wing and the chick slid up underneath and got up underneath the wing. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, oh, my people, how I will take you and slide you up underneath my wing of protection. God wants us to know he has us covered but we need to trust in his truth. I know that seems simple, and that's the basis of our whole walk, but that's what he's saying. It's just trust me. Tribulation worketh patience. Patience, experience, and experience, hope. He's trying to show us along the way and sometimes we're missing these things because we're so magnifying the problem that instead of magnifying him. And he wants to show along the way, you could trust me. You could trust me. So when it comes time to take that business step, you could trust me. When it comes time to move out into that call, you could trust me. When it comes time to step out of that job, you could trust me. When it's time to step out of a job you've been in a long time and move to something different, maybe it pays less, whatever it is, you could trust me. When it comes time to find that house or that place, you could trust me. When it comes to the empty bank account and I don't know where the next dollar's coming from, you could trust me. It's all about learning how to trust him along the way so we can begin to bring memory stones and essence or spots that I say, I remember what you did, and then I step forward, I remember what you did, and then I step forward, I remember what you did. That's what this is about. You could trust him, and you could take it to the bank. Remember, God doesn't yell. He doesn't wrestle us down. Those, that hen wasn't doing anything. It, it wasn't, it's just positioning itself. God said, you draw nigh to me. I'll draw nigh to you. See, he speaks in a still small voice. And the NIV says it's a gentle whisper. You know, I think about John and Jesus' bosom. And for some time, it was a very hard thing for me to get my head around. I'm a guy. And I didn't, I don't know, I just is something in the natural. You think about leaning into another guy's bosom to lay over to the side like that. But I'm telling you what, that's where we all need to be positioned. And I had to get over that type of thinking because that's not the thinking I belong in. The thinking I belong in is knowing I have to lean into my master, lean into Jesus, let him grab a hold of me so I can hear his breath and I can hear his gentle whisper. This is about dwelling in intimacy. This is about the shadow of the Almighty. The next shadow is the shadow of death, Psalm 23. And we'll first look at verse 4 again, adding words from the lexicon dictionary. Yea, though I walk, that word, another meaning for it is yea, though I grow through the valley or a gorge of the shadow of death, which can be deep darkness. I will fear or dread no evil, and that evil is whether in general or of a person, or even of thoughts. For thou art with me, thy rod, thy scepter, thy mark of authority, and thy staff. They support, they sustain, and they comfort me. 
That word comfort me actually can mean to cause me to repent. It's such the goodness of God that leads to repentance. His comfort causes me to, leads me to repentance because I can be in a mindset or thinking about who he is and what he does. But when his comfort comes in, when I'm underneath what I just described and what he's talking about, it causes me to repent to say, how could I have thought anything different? We are promised to walk through this valley. Many of us are looking for the mountaintop. It's got to be about the mountaintop. Where is the mountain? I'm walking in the valley. I'm tired of walking in the valley. I want the mountaintop. But I'm here to tell you it's not exactly like that in my opinion. I believe the valley is life. The thing is you could be on a mountaintop and still be in the valley at the same time when you're underneath the shadow of his wings. Because that puts me in high places. So here's what the Lord showed me. Is what happens is, is we're walking through the valley. The darts and the things, the people and thoughts and all these things, they, they begin to be wielded by those that are, we'll say, on the hillsides. Thinking they could easily sabotage us along the way. And many times that's what happens. We get hit by the disappointments, burned by the church, whatever it may be, burned by our boss, burned by our neighbor, burned by our government. Whatever it may be, the dart comes and it sticks. We could take a dart or two, but what happens is as multiple darts in different areas begin to hit, we stop. And we take a posture in the valley that we were never meant to take, and that is sitting down. None of us, none of you that are sitting can get to this wall unless you get up. So what God was saying is what happens is we, in essence, become paralyzed in the valley. I'm not talking about your salvation. You could be secure that you're going to heaven, no doubt. But the bottom line is there are things inside of us. This is what God just came for. He didn't said in John 10, 10, I didn't just come to give you life, but I came to give you what? The abundance of life. But the abundance doesn't necessarily come easy. There has to be a part. I have to walk this out, and I have to trust that if I stay up underneath his wings, under the shadow of the Almighty, the shadow of death has no hold. See, one of the definitions of paralyzed is to render someone unable to think or act normally, especially through panic or fear. You see, the enemy comes to kill, steal, destroy, John 10, 10. And in the valley, is casting down darts and arrows or using people or thoughts. Again, challenging the very seed in us, the very destiny that God's placed inside of you, the promises that he's put. These, it's just not paper. It's not just him saying this, and then it does it to happen. He said that his promises are yes and amen. Psalm 91 again, he is our shield and buckler. This walk, look, think about, think about what happened when Jesus was born. What did they do? They began to kill the what? They began to kill the seed. They began to kill those that were up to two years old because they were trying to kill the seed. If he could just kill the seed, then I could stop everything from happening. This shadow of death is about killing your seed. 
It's about the seed that each one of you carry of destiny from the Most High God that when he breathed life into you, he planted that seed inside of you. And when you came into redemption, you accepted him. He unlocked the possibility of what it is he's spoken to your life. That's what this is about, about trying to steal the seed. If you think about the parable of the sower, is that not what it is? The first time the enemy comes and he takes the birds of the air, the enemy come and take that. Because it didn't take root. He's trying to steal the seed of destiny God has for you. The Hebrew word for valley is gorge. And the French word for gorge is throat or neck. Isn't it interesting, throat or neck? The enemy wants to choke out what's in us. He wants to step on our neck and stop the very progress that we're to move into. He wants to choke us out. He's trying to choke out the word. If you think about the parable of the sower in the third one, what happens? The seed falls within where? It falls in and thorns come over. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. We take those things sometimes and we seem so far removed from those things. The cares of this world, I don't really care. Or the deceitfulness of riches, I don't want wealth like that. It's not really meaning those things. It's those things that are chattering in your mind that the world's saying. See, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be transformed from that thinking, right? From that worldly thinking. But it's still picking. It's still pecking in our mind and throwing those thoughts in there. And when you get to the third one, it says it chokes out to the seed. So it's choked out that that seed cannot bring fruit unto perfection. That's what the King James says. That word perfection means maturity. It's not that it can't produce anything, but it can't produce the maturity that God has for each and every one of us. The walk in the valley. It's not to sit. In Romans 1, it talks about unrighteous, unrighteous characteristics, one of which are whispers. Now, I'm not here to talk about people who are whispers, but I'm here to talk in this particular instance about the one that they're listening to. Unrighteous characteristics does not come from God. We all know that. These are the works of darkness, not the light. Works that are being influenced by what? By the wrong shadow. See, the word whisperer means a detractor. It means a magical murmur of a snake charmer. Think how many times we've looked at something in TikTok, the magical murmur of the snake charmer, whatever it is, to move into some false belief that healing's not for me, that the gifts are not for me, that I can't operate like that, that I could not have a business of my own, that I can't prosper, that I can't this, that I can't that, whatever it may be, the magical murmur of the snake charmer is TikTok and trying to mesmerize you and hypnotize you into thinking that you can't have the promise and truth that God has already ordained for you. It means to speak deliberate lies or falsehoods. Does that sound like anyone you know? That is who the enemy is. That is who the devil is. He is the one who speaks deliberate lies or falsehoods. He is the father of lies. It's two opposing lights and two opposing shadows, a light that's true and a shadow that's true and a light that's false and a shadow that's false. It's about two opposing fathers, one capital F father, the father, our father in heaven, and little F father, the father of lives. So let's take a look at what the effects of a shadow can be for you. 
for us. Peter's shadow, Acts 5.15. Again, I'm adding some words from the dictionary. Insomuch that they brought forth, they carried the sick, those that were feeble, without strength, lacking power, unable to achieve one's purpose. What word does that sound like? But what we just said was paralyzed unable to achieve their purpose. They brought them into the streets and they laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow them. That word overshadow is the same word used when Mary was visited by the angel. It symbolizes the immediate presence and power of God. See, the Jews, they believe something that we don't necessarily believe. They believe that we cast a shadow. We believe that we cast our own shadow. But what they believed is the shadow was connected to the person. So if my shadow actually touched a dead person, it made me unclean. The shadow became a connection to the person. In other words, they, weren't, they were in some ways one in essence. So they already had heard about what Peter could do. They already heard about some of the miracles and the miracles of Jesus and how this had been carried on to the disciples. So the buzz was already there. No social media, but yet the buzz was there. And they knew. They knew who he represented. And they knew that his shadow carried something. This wasn't just going out for somebody that was on a walk and let's hopefully catch his shadow like somehow that was going to do something. They knew that shadow was going to carry the immediate presence power of God, the same presence that was carried when Mary was given the word. They knew something. They came with expectation whether they were rolled onto that cop. And I'm telling you this, if someone doesn't want to go, they'll tell you they don't want to go. These people, to me, they took a risk. They said, you know what? Throw me in that cot. Pick me up. Do whatever you got to do because I got to get to the shadow of the Almighty. They took a step. Verse number five, thou prepares, thou sets in order, ordains a table. That's a king's table for private use. For you. A king's table for private use. Don't get me wrong, we'll all be around the table at some point in time when that time comes. We'll all be around the table. But I'm talking about now you have been prepared a table for you, for your private use. For God has set those things in order. He's laid out the table. He's put the napkins out. He's put the forks and the silverware and everything that's needed upon that table for you. He's laid it out in order because what does the word say? It says the righteous man or woman steps or what? They are ordered by the Lord. That table has been placed in order and it's for your private use. And as I said, I think it was yesterday, this isn't just order like left, right, left, like a military or like one, two, three. But this is ordered into the airways. When God spoke you into existence, he spoke a plan. When he said my name, Michael, he didn't just say Michael and then some happenstance plan came. He said, Michael, and Michael, this is your destiny. I place this seed inside of you by the breath of God. Before me in the presence of my enemies or my adversary, that's where that table is set. In the presence of my enemies and adversaries. We're trying to get rid of them. I understand that. I really do. But the bottom line is they don't have any power over us unless we give them power. That doesn't mean that we get all arrogant about it. That doesn't mean we go in there and we're tooting and holding and doing all these other things. It means we walk in authority. And sometimes authority is quiet. 
but it's authority just the same. Because it walks in identity. Thou anointest to make fat, prosperous, to remove the ashes of sacrifice from my head. To remove the ashes of sacrifice. If you're here on Friday, we talked about the woman with the issue of blood, how we can get some theological formula in some ways about how we have to do all these things to get something from God, which is a total lie. It's breaking off the removing of the ashes of sacrifice has been taken away. He came and he died for us and he rose again. What? Because the rent was torn, so we no longer have to bring some sort of sacrifice to him. We are the living sacrifice to him, and we have free access. No more longer do we have some work that's involved. Don't get me wrong. Faith without works is dead. You're exactly right, but that's not the works I'm talking about. We begin to churn that somehow if we just don't get exactly right all the time, that somehow it won't happen. That's what mercy is about. That's what grace is about. It's the empowerment to be able to do and carry out what God has. That's why we can go boldly before the throne of grace in time of need and in time of mercy. Because I receive forgiveness from my Father. So when I step into the throne room, I can look at it face to face and say, Father, I need help. My cup, a bag for money or purse, it runs over, it's saturated, it's wealthy. Surely goodness in the wildest sense and mercy that kindness and faithfulness shall follow me. It's not just follow me, it's, it's running after me. It's chasing me all the days of my life and I will dwell or I will abide. And this is where we're to sit down. It says abide or sit down in the house as a family member of the Lord forever. We could get blocked by all sorts of things. We could begin to believe that somehow my life's a bowl of cherries, but it's full of pits. We could begin to take all the negative things that people have spoke over us or what's around us or how they think about us or how they view us and all these negative things. And we could begin to think that it's hopeless that the hand that I was dealt was just a raw hand. I don't have any wild cards in my hand. I got a bunch of junk. And that's a lie from the enemy. Anything, anything can do that. If you go somewhere and somehow something didn't happen exactly right, those little tiny things along the way can happen. Someone shortchanged you or whatever it may be. These, I'm not talking about always big things. It's the little tiny things that get picked away. So one time when we moved to Mobile, Alabama, Actually, we were moving to Pensacola. We stayed with my sister-in-law at the time. And so I had to get a haircut. Well, I have short hair. I figure that's pretty easy. Maybe not. So I go to a place. I'm also pretty frugal. Sometimes maybe I could be too frugal. But anyway, goes on the story. So I go into this place, and it's like super cuts or something like that, $9.95 for your haircut. So I go inside, and I had watched this... Um, Something on TV that says, if you ever go somewhere you've never been before, because the same person cut my hair for seven years, if you ever go somewhere where you haven't been before, then you should ask them, like, how long they've been cutting hair. And if they've been cutting hair for a long time, you're probably pretty safe, right? So I go in. There's no one in there except for the lady behind the counter. No one. Maybe that was the first clue. 
I think I missed that question, but anyway. <laughs> so I go in there and I said, I'd just like to get a haircut. You know, see you're busy, just kidding. But uh, anyway, she, so she, this lady comes out of the back. And so she comes out of the back and she walks me back. We introduce each other. So I, what do I ask her? How long have you been cutting hair? She said like 16 or 17 years. I'm like, okay, I feel, I'm feeling okay, I feel safe. <clears throat> so I sit down in the chair and, um, and I tell her exactly, two and a half on the sides, you know, textured on the top, blend on the side, block cut in the back. I mean, I gave her exactly. Actually, I even think I held the text out for my bar, my person cut my hair so she would know exactly. She said, yeah, good to go. I said, do you trim eyebrows? Yeah, you go over here on the ears. Yeah, we got it all square. So she puts a thing on me, you know, and then we go to town. Well, I mean, as soon as she starts cutting my hair, she breaks. She starts weeping, like weeping. Well, her dad died the day before. I don't even know why she's at work. But the da- her dad died the day before, so I'm just... I'm trying to hear her. I'm just trying to counsel the best I can. She's cutting my hair. I'm not, at this point, I'm not thinking about anything, what she's doing. All I'm thinking about is that, you know, I'm trying to console her. And, I mean, she's weeping. She really should not have been at work. It was just too much. But she probably needed the money, and so she came to work. So we get all done and everything, and I walk out, and I go home. <laughs> Got to face that mirror sometime. <laughs> so I go into the bathroom. And I don't have any eyebrows. <laughs> she just shaved them all off. Yep, they were all gone. Every bit. Not even one little squiggly though. So, <laughs> Becky would laugh because we'd be going, we could go in somewhere and people would be looking at me, like staring at me. She goes, you know why they're looking at you? Because you don't have any eyebrows. You know, and I don't know if you ever watched Seinfeld before, but back in the day when I did, they took Uncle Leo and painted those black lines. I'm like, why are you so angry? You know what I mean? It was just so, anyway. <laughs> oh, man. It seems like we're digressing, but the thing is that I could have taken that and said, you know, always things bad happen to me. But that's not how I viewed it in all actuality. I viewed it was an honor to sit in that chair and sacrifice my eyebrows. And I really mean that. As I thought about that, God could have put anybody in that chair in that moment. But he trusted me. Yeah, they did. But he trusted me. Many times we're just not seeing the picture. Many times we're caught in the moment. Many times we're taking a natural way of thinking and we're defining the moment in a natural sense. And if we don't put on the mind of Christ in the eyes and the vision of Christ in our minds, we're going to see these things for not what they are. Look, God wants to put you in positions where he trusts you. If you're doing inner healing, he wants you to be able to be trustworthy, produce a safe environment so when people come to you, you don't harm them, but you help them and you send them on their way better than how they started. God wants to make sure that you're trustworthy. That's what he wants to build in you. This is what a valley's doing. It's growing you into maturity. Sometimes time has to be involved. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a part of the process. I don't take a two-year-old child and put him behind the wheel of a vehicle, and there's nothing wrong with that. The two-year-old needs to learn how to be that two-year-old. Enjoy that time of learning about what God's doing and cultivating you to move into the walking stage, the running stage, the, the middle school days, all those things because it's all a part of the process. We should never be looking for what's up here. We should be trying to enjoy the journey now. 
But if we continually get paralyzed by the shadow of death and all these thinkings that somehow my shoe always falls, it's always falling, the dryer is breaking, the dishwasher is breaking, whatever it may be, and we always look at the negative side of things that somehow this is happening to me, and we begin to evaluate these things, we begin to distort the nature of God. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's who he is. If you see killing, stealing, and destroying, whatever that is, it's the enemy doing that. But sometimes God will position you in spots as you grow and mature. And you may be a living sacrifice, even with eyebrows. So there's two shadows. The shadow of the Almighty, which is the truth. And the shadow of death, which is a lie. See, the shadow in the valley, it's a lie because it's created by what? A lying shadow, which is created by what? A lying source. 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down vain imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and taking those things captive into the obedience of his name. Everything that's truth is a constant. It doesn't change. No matter what you think about it, it doesn't change. Truth is still a constant. God's truth changes for no one. But what the enemy does, he brings something in. He says, you know what? You could be an entrepreneur. You just need to siphon some money this direction. You need to not report your sales tax the way you should. You should do it this way. You should skim here. You should skim there. That's taking something and putting it above the truth. And it says, cast those things down. Those are vain imaginations that will lead you nowhere. That's a falsehood. That's a lie. It's not the way that he wants you to think. He wants you to take those thoughts. And he says, look at my truth. That doesn't align. I take those thoughts captive in the obedience to your name. That's not in the strength of me, but that's in the obedience of his name in Jesus name this isn't some formal thing that say I take those thoughts captive it's not like that it's a relationship with him knowing and understanding the power that you have in him it's a prayer without ceasing with him and fellowship or relationship and as I walk and those thoughts come boom that's gone uh-uh, that's not who I am and that's not what God says I am and that's not God what still God says I'm going to See, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And he gave us the Holy Spirit. What he is, the spirit of what? He's the spirit of truth to God us into what? God us into truth, into all truth, that no man need to instruct you, but that he could be inside of you, not just beside you, but inside you to guide you every step of the way. That's why Jesus said it's profitable or expedient that I go away. As crazy as that must have sounded to them, said, wait a second. What do you mean you're here with us? Why do you say it's more profitable that you go away? He said, but yet another will come. Another will come and not just be with you, but he'll be inside of you. He'll be inside of you. I want you to go wait for the promise. Wait for the promise. Wait for the promise. I said the promise would come, but you're going to have to wait for the promise. So go position yourself to wait for the promise. And then the promise came and what happened? Power came. And the one who denied Jesus and did all those things was the one who stood up and began to proclaim the promise of God. Numbers 13, if you look at Numbers 13, here they are at the promised land. They're sent out by Moses to go view the land of Canaan. God said there would be a land flowing with milk and honey. They go to this land, and Canaan actually means low land. Not mountain, lowland. 
So they're looking at the lowland. They go up on the high side. They were to bring some fruit back. They bring fruit back of grapes between two people. I don't know about you. I grew up with grapevines in our little orchard. My dad did grapes, and I've never seen him or me both together taking grapes from the garden. That fruit was big. They looked, and they knew that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. They saw that it was what God said it was. The problem was they saw the Canaanites and the Amalekites and the Hittites and all the other ites were down there in the valley or in the lowland, and they knew that if they went into that place, there was going to be a fight ensue. And they took that portion of it and that trumped because now that was the vain imagination that came over top of the truth that God already spoke. And so ten of them bailed and two of them stayed. Two of them stayed in the truth. They knew what the promise was. It was right before their eyes. But they got their eyes on something else. I talked a little bit about before, 2004, about how I was called to change my health. And God showed me long lines of people and praying for people. And now I've been seeing that over the years to be able to have the honor to be able to go and pray for people. But along the way, it wasn't just an easy thing. The shadow of death tried to come on me many times to try to discourage me and say, you're going to be the same for the rest of your life. And I have shared before that I would cry at night. I would have to sleep like an L with my legs off to the side to relieve the pressure and pain off my back every single day. And many times when I got ready to sneeze, I would have to hold myself like this because if I didn't, it could literally take me to my knees and I could potentially throw my back out again. Six, seven times a year, I'd have to go get shots in my back because my back would contort like a C. I couldn't even do for you right now what it is that my back did, but it looked like a C in the mirror. And the only way it could be relieved was shots. And thank God my physician did not believe in narcotics. The shots he gave me was like a high-level aspirin and a steroid, and that was the only thing that would relieve it. God led me on this journey, and I still had to get shots at times. I still had to do things this time. There was still the promise. I wasn't walking in the promise. Little by little, prayed for by Randy. One night we went to a, a service. Actually, I think it was in 2012, our second healing school. And behind me, someone stands up. Randy's trying to minister. Someone stands up, and they shout out a condition. And Randy just kind of stops. Randy's real good about not just going on with his agenda. He stops for the one. She told him the condition. They said, he said, lay hands on her and pray for her. He starts again on his message. Next thing you know, over here at Mark Sharona's church, someone stands up over there, and they shout the condition. Randy's figured probably by this time, we're not going where I thought I was going. The third person to stand up and say something was me. That's not me. It's not who I am. It's not one of those people. I'm not saying it's right, but I'm not one of those people who stand up sometimes when I probably should stand up and say, I need help. But I stood up. I began to weep. I didn't realize how much this was affecting me. This was in 2012. I hadn't been to a doctor, but there were still effects going on with me in my back. There were still things that I struggled with. There were still cramping at night. There were still things that just weren't right. Randy eventually called me up and he began to pray for me, pray for me several times. He asked me if I was better. I said I was better, but I wasn't complete. Randy then called people up that had back issues. I prayed for every one of them and every one of them were healed. 
I went home that night and laid in bed. I didn't want cramping to come. I didn't want that pain or whatever it was to come back again. But it began to come back again. And I began to wage war against it. But it didn't matter. It was still there. I can't explain these things. I did all that I could to hold on to it. But somehow it just wasn't for that time and moment. I can't explain that. But it didn't mean that I didn't stop believing. It didn't mean that I didn't know the hand of God was on my life. It didn't mean that I didn't know that he didn't touch me. Maybe I can't explain why it's not manifesting. But I can tell you if someone else wanted to pray for my back after that, pray for my back. I don't have a problem with it. I'm not just trying to hold on to something like I'm fearful. Fearful that if you pray for me that somehow you're going to break something. You're not going to break something. Release some more on me. So I have faced in my own life with chronic pain, the shadow of death over a period of time, and other things as well. I shared this before, but my, my life started with my mother going across state lines to, to abort me. I started with rejection in my life, a father that didn't want to stick around. A letter that I still have today because he couldn't take responsibility. 33 or 38 years later, excuse me, I found him and he still didn't want anything to do with me. Everything's not the Oprah Winfrey show. It's not all about reconciliation all the time. And when you go into these things, you have to be prepared to get rejected again and you cannot prepare. You can only prepare to a certain degree. I tell you those things because my life didn't go easy. I easily and always felt that the hand that I had was deficient. People would tell me I would amount to nothing. I had many parts, I'm sure, to play in that. I was just a hurt kid. I just wanted to be loved. My mother had narcolepsy until I was almost 14 years old, 12 to 13, which means she slept predominantly all the time. My father was gone. My stepfather at the time after she married, after five years, it took me to a land that I did not know and to a completely different place with no one, miles away from people, was never around. I don't say that for sympathy. I'm trying to tell you that my walk has not been some silver spoon walk. But it doesn't change my father who's in heaven. Interestingly enough, in 2011, when I encountered Global and I came back, I was telling Pastor Walter the other day that for the first two weeks, every time I talked about the love of God, I would weep. And I would go on long walks and runs. I was sharing with Gabriel the other day about that. But, and I was getting up at dark because I almost couldn't sleep because of what was happening inside of me. Restoration was occurring. And I came out. I was out there on the walk, and the sun had already come up, and I rounded the corner. Now, when I was called, God never told me what I was called to. He just showed me a platform and a podium, and I knew I was called, but I didn't know which of the fivefold I was called to. And sometimes it can be very confusing as to which one am I supposed to be. There's five of them. What are you calling me to? And it creates a frustration, and you're almost like, where are you headed me? And then people would say, what are you called to? And I'm like, I really don't know what I'm called to, but I know that I'm called. It was frustrating many times. I had to lay it kind of down and lay it on the back burner. But that morning as I'm rounding the corner and the sun's up, the sun was up. The Lord speaks to me and he says, you're a son. You see, that's the thing I yearn to always hear, that you're a son. And that was the thing he said you could take to the bank. You're a son. I'm your father. It doesn't matter about preacher, teacher, prophet, evangelist, or whatever the other one is because I don't I'm apostle. It doesn't matter which one of those five you are because you really can't be any of those unless you're a son. 
So it doesn't matter. I don't need to know. All I need to know is who my identity is in him. And out of that will flow many things. You see, it's not about our location. Many times we want to move. We want to change our jobs. We want to change our spouse. Go figure. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff going on. We don't, it's not about our condition. It's about what we feel like when I was in pain or maybe you're in pain or maybe your finances. It's not about your location. It's not about your condition. But what it's about is your position. Where are you positioned? Are you still being affected by the shadow of death? Are you up under the shadow of the Almighty, underneath his wings? Are you the kind of chick that understands when you're out here in the barnyard and you see, uh-oh, the shadow of death is trying to come? I slide myself up under the hidden from view, shadow of wings. You can't touch this. You see, this competing shadow is the enemy. He's trying to block out the very destiny that's inside of you. He is a destiny blocker. And he used the shadow of death to paralyze us in the valley. He sits us down in the valley through disappointments or whatever it is. And I believe God has sent me here today to tell you to rise up, to rise up, to rise up. No longer sitting in the valley. Which one are we trusting is what it comes down to. Are we really trusting the shadow of the Almighty? Are we believing some lie that we can't be under the shadow of Almighty all the time? We can be. We can be. It may take some practice, but we can be. Many times we become paralyzed. We weren't made to sit in the valley. We're made to sit in heavenly places, and that's where we are positioned, and that's the seat. That we occupy. See, the enemy of the mind, our mind wants to squash all that. He wants to squash the seed inside of us. We're looking for something many times that is not there. We're looking for the mountaintop experience. We're looking for the next thing. I shared it on a Friday night. I Glory to glory. We go from glory to glory, from glory to glory. And the Lord spoke to me said, you're so worried about the glory to come. You're not operating in the glory you're in. We're always looking for the more, but we're not in the more that we're in. And what's going to happen today? There's going to be an impartation. The Holy Spirit's going to come. And I believe wholeheartedly he's going, to fulfill, he's going to fill you. He's going to impart to you. He's going to bring out calls in you where your destiny calls to the ministry, calls to entrepreneurship, calls to whatever it may be. And God, I believe he's going to fill you and anoint you for those type of things. But here's the thing is, you have to keep progressing after that. You can't just take that and think that you can run on yesterday's anointing. You have to keep going. And let me tell you something else. Character is not imparted by the laying of hands. It comes through tribulation. And tribulation works patience. Patience and patience experience and experience hope to know that. So we can't frown at tribulation. Not that I stand and say, I want more. That's not it at all. But begin to get the right perspective that the shadow of death no longer is going to allow me to sit in the valley. But I'm going to rise up and I'm going to say no more, no more, no more. And I'm going to ask you right now as a prophetic proclamation. I don't know, but I feel like running around the building. Holy Spirit, come.
Father, you're just, you're amazing. What your word says and what it reveals and the process of the journey. And Lord, I just speak over everyone here that we begin to learn to enjoy the process. Enjoy the journey. It doesn't mean we can't have something in the now. I believe healing is going to happen today. And I bless you, Lord, for all the healings you did even over this week. Right in front of our eyes, we see your hand move. I'm not saying it always has to be tomorrow. But Lord, there's a walk in this that we have to walk. Help us to stop looking always for how we hit the high place. We'll have those moments with you at the Mount of Transfiguration. There are those moments we all had or will have. Those are awesome moments. But then you send us back down, so to speak, when we have those visits in heaven to deal with the demoniac, the the child who's possessed, the one who needs healing or who needs a word, who needs encouragement. The cashier at the gas station, his face just shows he's wearing the weight of the world. The neighbor that's crying because their son is lost. This is the walk. This is our call. He's anointed you for these things. He said, heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Raise the dead. We want to put a metaphor and make that a metaphor about raise the dead. I believe he meant raise the dead. Do we believe it? Do we believe that that can happen when he said, you shall lay, you shall lay, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover? What stops that from happening? 2011, a shift happened, and I said it the other night. It was like a light came on in a room I already had. It was a release of expectation in my life to no longer believe the shadow I came from, but to slide underneath the wings. It's amazing what you've done, Lord. But I believe the masterpiece It's the peace that you want to do today. It's the peace in every person's life that sits here that maybe has been affected by that. And maybe even over the course of two days, maybe that's been dealt with. But I think it's more than that that you want to do. But I'm going to ask you, as a prophetic proclamation, to stand. To stand as an indication that I'm standing up. If there's any area of my life that somehow I've been paralyzed, some area of my life that somehow I've taken the posture that you haven't called me to, that somehow some negative thing, some this or some that, I pray right now a shift of your perspective. And as a prophetic proclamation, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and say, you know what, no more, no more, no more. No more am I going to believe that lie. No more when this happens. No more when I'm mistreated by the person in authority. No more what I believe. That's what you have for me. But you're going to teach me, Lord, how to walk through that. You're going to teach me how to stay in character. You're going to teach me how to not use language I shouldn't use or whatever it may be. You're going to teach me how to be a son. You're going to teach me how to be the son of the most high. That I can know when I'm walking through the valley. That I walk with my head high. And I'm looking boldly to my father who's in heaven and saying, I know you got this. I know you got this. I know you've got this. I know you've got this. See, we're in a time of breakthrough. 
That's where we're at. We're time of breakthrough. But the thing it is, sometimes walls don't easily come down. But it does say that the anointing will destroy. It will break. It will break. It will break the yoke. It will destroy it. It will grind it into powder. And right now in this day and age, there's a lot of yokes going on. And I speak against those yokes right now in Jesus' name. And we take the anointing of God right now and we break all those and destroy to smithereens all those yokes. Yokes in our thinking. Yokes in our actions. Yokes even in the people we deal with that may not know you, Lord. We take authority over that right now in Jesus' name.